0: Alleluia, Hallelujah! alleluia. Christ, our Savior, has risen from the grave, and death is dead. Amen? Amen? Father, all hearts are open, all desires are known, and God, we desire to be with you. Deep within our soul, God, every human being on the planet is drawn to you inexplicably. We want to be with you because we are made in your image. We thank you, God, for your Son, Our Savior, Jesus Christ, in our likeness, to be amongst us, incarnate God, and yet you went to the cross for us. And the story's not over, because on the third day, you rose again to give us new life. Into this, into this truth, and into this reality, may we deeply ponder and understand and go forward. And we all said, amen. Have a seat, everyone. Um, It seems necessary on Easter to delve into some very basic questions about Easter. And I talked a lot about this last week as far as sort of the technical part. So this morning is a little bit different. Would you join me then uh, in reading the end of the Gospel of Mark? uh, Join me here so we can all kind of get this down. Join me. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified... He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid." This is how the Gospel of Mark ends. Uh, There's actually some verses after it, and you can get into all sorts of technical arguments about the end of Mark. But it's also the same way that the Gospel of Matthew ends in a lot of ways. And it's simply that the women were afraid as they left. And it just seems to make sense on this beautiful Easter morning. It is a really quite beautiful Easter morning, unlike sometimes it is this time of year, but uh, it's beautiful out there. It just seems so appropriate that we'd be so excited, we'd just say, what are we going to do? What do we do about Easter? What are, what are we all supposed to do? Not just believe, but what are we all supposed to do about this thing? And I'm just going to give you three responses. Good, better, and best. Good, better, and best. There are three responses to Easter. There's a good response, there's a better response, and then there's the best response. Okay, so good <clears throat> is when you go to Easter service and you ponder the day, and you come to the what I'm just going to say is rather a cheap, modern-day idea, a belief that says, well, we all have eternal life. Isn't that nice? And so let's all just keep our nose clean and be happy with that. Great. We got our get out of hell free card. We're all good to go. And that would be certainly true. The fact that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ and that death is dead. There's nobody's debating that. I mean, at least not in this church. Uh, Well, okay. I'm not, but um, (laughs) nonetheless, that's great. That's, that's good. We're going to call that the good response. And when we say risen from the dead, we do mean bodily, physically risen from the dead. We don't know how, but there's something unique to it. We're not talking about a spiritual resurrection. Jesus didn't swoon in the tomb, and he certainly, you know, was not reanimated or somehow resuscitated or anything like that. It really is some sort of mysterious thing that even those around him at the time couldn't figure out what was going on. He still had his wounds, and yet they were healing, and somehow he was remade. We don't know. Nobody'd ever done it before, all right? And of course, that's going to open up all sorts of bewilderment and debate and so forth. And we, like I said, we talked about a little bit of that last week. So, if you told your child about Easter this morning, your young child, and you said Easter is all about eternal life, good, good. That's a good start, but you're missing the better, and you're even missing the best. Why? Because really, everyone. Realize that all faiths, all belief systems around the world believe in life after death. That life after death, you know, going on in existence. Now, bodily resurrection may be something different that people disagree on. But every faith and religion, Hindu, Muslim, everyone believes in life. Most atheists believe in life after death. That there's something that goes on after death. Some existence of the soul. So there's nothing unique about that to say that Christianity came up with life after death because they didn't. That just went on even before that. So it's, it's um, to say that reduce Easter down to just life after death is kind of a pretty cheap answer. It doesn't embrace the depth of what's going on in the Christian faith. And these days, belief comes rather cheap. And you can say, I believe in Jesus, and I believe Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe I have eternal life and all that sort of thing, like, and then not have anything in your life change. Well, it's better than nothing. The better response to Jesus rising is exactly what we find at the end of Mark's gospel. And they were afraid. They were scared. Or, more accurately in our vernacular, they were freaked out. They saw a dead man rise and it freaked them out. That's what's supposed to happen when you see someone back from the dead. That's why we all love to go see scary movies, is because somehow it freaks us out. Of course, I don't want to draw too many analogies between scary movies and Jesus rising from the dead, but nonetheless, because, you know, you start thinking he's a zombie or something stupid like that, and that's not really true. You see, if you were a crime scene investigator, you'd have to come to some sort of conclusion. You'd say, like, well, the body's missing. Uh Uh-oh, now we have a problem. Where's it gone? Did they take it away for burial? No, they say it's missing. And then some white-robed person shows up saying that he is risen and that he's not here and that go tell Peter and the others. They've gone on to Galilee to meet him there. Afraid and freaked out is the better response when somebody raises rises from the dead. <laughs> and we can find, when you begin to examine this sort of thing, that it gets kind of scary because even the best scholars, and I'm not just talking about the scholars that I like, I'm talking the scholars that I would even disagree with, They all agree that the body was not there. As a matter of fact, there's three major conclusions you can come to. One, the historical evidence, according to scholars, and I'm talking like I uh, was digging into last week with Dr. Geza Vermesh or Dr. Ed Sanders or any of the others. These guys aren't Christians. They're not believers. Dr. Vermesh is actually a Jew, New Testament scholar, which is curious. They all said the first thing you conclude from all the historical evidence is that the tomb was empty. Number one fact, the tomb is empty. There is, Jesus is not in the tomb. Number two, the disciples did not steal it, which is a big claim to make historically as a scholar because the evidence shows is that the body was not stolen. Nobody's out to try and trick anybody. The third thing is the most curious one. The third one says the community after that first day of the week began to behave radically different. You see, Peter ran off when some slave girl said, aren't you from Galilee? Weren't you with Jesus? And he says, I don't even know the guy. And he ran off. All the rest of them scattered. But on that first day, after they had supposedly seen Jesus, they all began to behave differently. They were not scared anymore. They began to behave radically different. They began to preach that Jesus had rose from the dead. They they were acting unafraid of arrest, of persecution, of torture, of death. They didn't seem... uh, concerned about it anymore. They begin announcing to the world that everything was completely different, that a brand new era, a new age had begun and that everything that we thought before was over with. This is one of the scholars primary points that, set, that bring to the veracity, the truth of the Gospels in this account. They say they began to behave differently. No matter what you think about Jesus' resurrection, at least the people there all began to behave differently not worried about death. That's the better response to the resurrection. Now, what gets really interesting is, is on these liberal scholars, which I always find so curious, the ones that are not Christians, is that when it gets around to saying, well, what would we do then if Jesus rose from the dead? And they say, well, I'm just going to stick to my books and my research. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to be a Christian? They're like, I don't want to be a Christian. Okay. Why? Because it's like the author of Hebrews says, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Who would ever want to give up control of your life and, you know, be sold out to this thing and become like the rest of these disciples? That's a big deal. You have stuff to do if that's the case. Now, I'm not just talking about morality. I'm saying you become a world changer. Your entire life's agenda must change, and that's scary. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But that is the better response to Easter. That is the better response to Easter, and that brings us to the best answer and what we should do about Easter. The best, the best response to Easter event is this. Christ is risen. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Go and meet him there. You see, Jesus is faster than us. He's quicker than us. He's ahead of you in everything in your life. Christ is always ahead of us. He's going ahead of you. Go and catch up with Jesus. This is the the, the great glorious thing. He has gone ahead of you. Go and find him. Catch up with him. And what are we talking about? We are saying, just like the scriptures say, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Rub the sleep out of your eyes, everyone. It's not just another day. Every day is Easter. It is a brand new day. And this day, once a year, we remind ourselves that we are not normal. If you're just human, you're not normal. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're really not normal. And I don't just mean weird for weirdness sake. I mean you operate off a different wavelength. Death is dead. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. The hopeless, the addicted, the victims of abuse those of you who are unemployed and beat down and you think you're a loser because this day says the best thing that's going on is that you are not a loser and you are not beat down, that you have talents and that you have skills and you have something to contribute in this life and that today and yesterday do not define your future. You have hope because Jesus has gone ahead of you. You need to catch up with him. You have a future. You are not defined by your job loss by your abuse, by your addiction. That is not the real you. Go catch up with him. Because Jesus knows the real you, and he has made you the person that you are. You are made in the image of God. You ain't junk. You got stuff to do. Don't give up hope. Tomorrow is another day. Blessed are those who are sad, Jesus says, because your sadness and your grief, they do not last forever. The loss that you've experienced will not go on forever. It gets better. Trust me, I've been through it. It gets better. It's still a loss, and that never goes away. But your sadness does not define you. Your loss does not define you forever. It is a season that you're in. Because Jesus has gone ahead of you, and on the other side says, you will be with your loved ones. It is not forever. And for those of you who cannot have children through infertility, you have millions of children waiting for you. Millions. For those of you who are alone, you have millions of friends waiting for you. And this time, they'll actually be fun, you know? Life is going to be different. It's not about floating around on clouds with a harp, you know, and and having a boring church service all day long. We have work to do, everyone. Wake up, O sleeper. Arise. Christ has gone ahead of you. Go and meet Him there. Catch up with Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are the meek and the humble, for you're going to be the new warriors in this world. You will not fight your battle. You will not fight your battle with swords and spears and guns and bombs. You will fight it with some most, the most powerful weapon in the world. You will fight it with love. That is what conquers everything. Amen. Keep on fighting those of you who are in a battle against oppression. Those of you who fight for righteousness' sake, who thirst for righteousness, who love mercy and can't figure out why there is hatred in the world and why there are wars in the world and you just see injustice and that you think the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poor and the powerful are going to be corrupted by their own fame and glory and that there's nothing we can do about it and it ain't true. Because Christ has risen, the best response is you. You have been given a task to do. Go out and fight. Don't relent. Be strong take courage today, when you walk out these doors today, you are a warrior in the name of Christ. Not with weapons, with love and compassion and caring, showing up. We got work to do, everyone. Jesus has gone ahead of you into the inner city, for those of you who work in the inner city. Those of you involved in politics, he's gone ahead of you into the city council and into Washington, D.C., He's gone ahead of you into the school districts. He's gone ahead of you in the classroom and in the hospital and in the workplace. Christ has gone ahead of you. He is there. Yes, our best Easter response this morning is when Lakeland worships like heaven is all around us, where we pull back the veil and we unveil the fact that Christ is here and that every day is Easter. Not just one special day, you are already living in eternity. You're not going to live for 30 more years. You're going to live for 30,000, 30 million more years. You're already an immortal. Live like it. You've got power. You've got confidence. That's the best response to Easter. We've got work to do. Death is dead. What do we got to worry about? That's the way the first believers chose to live. Every one of the Gospels ends with the fact that we have work to do. Not one gospel of the four gospels ends with the fact like, well, now you all got eternal life, so just sit around. None of them end that way. They all end with, I, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, and I'm telling you, you can go out and you can bind and loose, and you can go and make disciples, and you can change this world. Love my sheep. Feed my lambs. You got work to do. Or like in the beginning of Acts, the angel says to the disciples, says, what are you guys standing here staring at the sky for? Get on with it. You got work to do. Or like the famous chapter from St. Paul. Chapter, 1 Corinthians, his letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Great treatise. If you want to figure out what's going on with the resurrection, you read 1 Corinthians 15. Very end of that verse. If death is dead and the sting of death is gone and it's all over with, what are we supposed to do? And Paul doesn't say, well, that's nice. He says, no. Be strong, be steadfast, take up the strength and the courage that's within you and move out. You've got work to do. Best Easter is when people around here gather in small groups and people come out of hiding and they try and make friends for the journey. The best Easter is when people lock arms and say, I'm going to do life with you, I'm going to go through the troubles with you. I know we're all not perfect, that doesn't have anything to do with it. We're together. That's the church. The best Easter is when once a month around here, people get together and they, on, they give parents with special needs children a night off. Just a few hours and people here, dozens of people here play with special needs kids, hang out with them, become best buddies with them. That's the best Easter. That's the kingdom of God here and in our midst. The best Easter is when people once a month or every week go down in the inner city and try and re-neighbor a place down by Linwood and Prospect. Because that situation, that deadly situation in that neighborhood is not its future. It will get better someday. There are good people in the inner city. Good people that are in there for the long haul. And Christ is asking us, go and join them. Fight for the right. The party. Okay, I had to say that, sorry. The best Easter is when you take a meal down to those kids down the Hope Center down at Prospected Linwood at the Hope Center and you go down there and you feed those kids in the afternoon because they haven't eaten well, well since the last meal they had the day before at the same time. Because they don't know where they're going to be living perhaps that month because then they've got to go live with auntie or with grandma. The best thing you can do to fight injustice and to fight crime is to go down and tutor a kid in the inner city. Teach them how to read. Teach them how to get their math done. Last week, I was over in Mission Hills at a very fancy house with a lot of fancy people, all of them African-American, okay? And in this room, in this fancy house with your pinky up eating, were all these Hope Center kids from the inner city and all these doctors and PhDs and lawyers and everybody, all African-American. And the mixer was thrown together to say, hey, why don't you two rub shoulders together? Give the kids in the inner city a vision for what it's like to make it in this culture. You know what the word was from all these rich people showing these inner inner city kids that there's hope if you're African-American, if you're a black kid growing up in the inner city? said, you stick with it. You do your homework, and you get ahead. You do the stuff you don't want to do so you can become the person you always wanted to be. That's what they were saying to him, story after story after story. How they get there? It happens when brothers and sisters in Christ, you and me, go down to the inner city and help these kids stay in the game. Things we take for granted, like homework, is never seen in their house. Help them along the journey. And by the way, you'll do a huge step against crime. It's in our hands. This is what we do. That's the best Easter. That's the best Easter. The best Easter is when people with hang-ups and bad habits and all sorts of other things that are dragging them down, they go to Saturday Night Mercy Street around here, 530. And they go there, and they come out of hiding, and they say, I've got this kind of thing, and I am not going to be conquered by it. I am what you see, but I am also what God sees. I am a person of hope, and my demons, I'm educating them. They don't win. Back off. All my hangups, all my baggage, don't define me. The best Easter comes on a Thursday night around here when people practice to do the stuff they just did, these musicians and these artists. Because they're saying, I've been given a gift, I've been given a talent, a skill. I love to, want to lead other people into worshiping God. They're like priests and priestesses leading you into the presence of God. That's joy. They're just training for the future. It's all gonna be worship. The best Easter is when several times a month people around here go down in the inner city and work at the Eastland house. The best Easter is when people load up in cars and vans and go down just across the Rio Grande River to hang out with with people who get one good meal a day because of this church, rice and beans. Make a library, pour concrete, build a wall, and give a place where even the public schools now come to go read books. Because guys gave up vacation time to go do something like that. That's the best Easter. You see, the theological background on this, as the Apostle Paul says, it's like all the good that we do lasts. It's like we are storing up supplies, building supplies for the kingdom of God. Yes, it has begun, but Jesus has not returned. And when he returns, he is the master planner. And when he returns, the kingdom of God will be expressed. Our job right now is to get together supplies and to begin to get ready for the king's return. That's what he said. That's what Paul says. Everything that you do lasts. Now, Paul also said some of it's like straw and hay and stubble and you get burned up and gone. But other of it is gold and silver and precious stone. We just don't know what the difference is. I mean, every now and then in your gut, you know that something that we do isn't right. I mean, I met with a Christian man um, a few months ago, and he's supplying arms to the Honduran government because the U.S. government cut him off. I kind of heard that, and I was like, blah, blah. You know, like, wait, you're a Christian, and you're supplying guns so people can kill each other, huh? Well, I might be going out of limb here, but that sounds really weird. I- I'd do a gut check on that one. I'd take that one to the throne of God and see if that's going to stick. I don't think so. That's just my opinion. So for the most part, though, we know what's gold and we, knows what, we know what's straw. We know the difference. We've got kingdom work to do. Jesus gone ahead of us. Let's catch up with him. The best response to Jesus' resurrection is when Lakeland and other churches like us go out in joy and excitement and dogged determination and decide to change the world in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the best Easter. And there are people who have gone before us, and we join that massive cloud of witnesses, people that have gone before us like St. Francis of Assisi, who in the 13th century didn't go get an army or master builders or anything like that to rebuild a cathedral and begin to reach out. He went out and lived with some outcast lepers who no one even wanted to be around. That was his church. And they changed the world and St. Francis goes on to be called the last Christian. He reinvented Christianity in the midst of when it had kind of lost its way. The best Christian and the best Easter is when people like Martin Luther back in the 16th century kept the church from drifting into another works religion. When someone like William Wilberforce, about 1780 to 1740, during his entire lifetime in, as a member of parliament in England, fought relentlessly against slavery, went to his grave fighting against slavery, and won. And after William Wilberforce, the entire world involved with slavery stopped it. One man, in the name of Jesus, who understood Easter. Easter. People like Clara Barton, who started the Red Cross, a Christian woman who just wanted to bind up wounds during the Civil War. People like Dorothy Day, who fought for the rights of laborers and workers who were being oppressed by mining companies in Appalachia over 100 years ago. People like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who reminds us that this nation needs to live up to its creed that everyone is created equal. And may we add that Martin Luther King did that in the name of Jesus. And if we don't add that on, it's a bunch of hollow politics. Lakelanders, let's be reminded this morning that the resurrection of the dead has already begun. You are already more resurrected than you're ever dead. You have work to do. Let us join those others that have gone before us and say we have work to do and Jesus is faster than us. Let's catch up with him because you see everyone, the deal is like like Dr. Willard said, the dean of philosophy at USC, University of Southern California. He said, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps God isn't some old crotchety guy with lightning bolts sitting on some throne who's looking for people who are doing wrong and then he hurls lightning bolts at them, you know. Perhaps God is more like about a three or four year old He's a child, and he doesn't, you know, just let the sun come up every day and say, oh, great. Perhaps it's more like the sun comes up and he's just saying, let's do it again, like a child being pushed in a swing where adults will wear out in about three minutes and want to die, but the child can go forever. That's what God's like. He's more of a child. Perhaps God, well, it says that he's not making daisies out of some sort of necessity. He makes daisies because he loves making daisies. Perhaps everything that happens is new and exciting to God. God is more young and more of a child than we can ever imagine. And Jesus has gone ahead of us. Let's catch up with him. God, they're so much faster than us. We have work to do, everyone. Let's get on with it. And now we come to this moment in the service where we symbolically and in real presence do something that marks us as belonging to God to the resurrection, and to this Jesus and this movement. It is called communion, the Eucharist. And on the night when Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, eat this, all of you, because when you eat of this, you, come, you become a part of me. You become a part of this people. You become a part of this kingdom, this movement I'm talking about. You get owned by me, Jesus says. You're declaring yourself I'm one of his. Likewise, after supper, when he took the cup and he given, after he'd given thanks, he passed it around and said, this is my blood of the new covenant. This new agreement, this new contract that we're all operating under. And it says, we are world changers. You may not understand it right now because I know in a few hours, you know, it was on the last supper, he says, I know you're all going to run away. But three days later, you'll be back. You'll get what I'm talking about when I've risen, ridden, rose from the grave. You'll understand. So drink it, all of you. See, when we come forward and we tear off a piece of bread and we dip in the chalice and we consume it right there, we're saying, yeah, I'm in total agreement with that. And somewhere in there, the presence of God opens up to us. And we keep the feast. And we become a people of the feast. Let's pray. God, all hearts are open, all desires are known. You are our hope of glory. We pray, God, that you would give us an awareness of your mercy and of your justice and of your resurrection and of your speed. May we catch up with you, Lord. May we be marked as people who belong to you. May we be people not just of lip service, but people of dogged determination who will stick it out in the hope of the resurrection, and become those kind of best people in the world that are called Christians. May we walk before you in holiness and righteousness all of our days through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. So you come whenever you're ready. Now, if you don't agree with this, if you're not a Christian or whatever, then that's fine. Just stay in your seat. It's Lakeland. You can sit there. It's cool. Some of you, you know, are kind of on the bubble, and you're like, I don't know if I want to be marked by Jesus, but I I feel compelled. Like, this may be actually your moment. You get up and come forward, and you dip the thing in there. You say, I don't know exactly what this means, but I want to follow Jesus. That's just the way it would go. And you'll work it out later, a moment of turning. Come whenever you're ready, everyone. Well, let's declare together these words of the Apostle Paul as he seeks to remind us and as he crescendos in his letter to the Romans, where he just gets so excited he can't hold himself and he just begins to write this Join me. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then I gotta leave you with one last thing because it just collapses the whole idea of Paul being far away into our present day. And it's from a letter that was found in the top desk drawer of a young pastor in Zimbabwe, Africa, a few days after his martyrdom for his faith. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I am now, I now live by faith lean into his presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast. My goal is heaven, my road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of my enemies, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must go until he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, He will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. He is risen. risen Go in peace.